Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. What's up, internets? This is Chico Leo. Welcome to another Fan Bros special delivery. I'm here flying through the chilly night skies with uh, none other than my co-pilot, Kimsonian. A.K.A. Thalmus Rasulala of the internet. Wow. Does that have Thalmus into Lala? Thalmus Rasulala. Rasulala. A.K.A. the star of Cool Breeze in 1972. Wow. He's a face that everybody knows and has seen, but definitely has the best name in show business. I guess so. What? Where have we seen him? He's been everywhere. He was a black actor. He was on everything in the 70s. He had a big, thick mustache. He was in plenty of black exploitation movies. He was on Sanford and Son. He was on what? He was Raj's dad on What's Happening. Uh, okay. I'm not. I'm not picturing. I'm definitely picturing Raj's mom, of course. But uh, wow, that's uh, that's quite a reference. That's going deep, deep in into the bench. I, man, with a name like that, you just got to pull yes. it out and resurrect it. So. That absolutely. I mean, he sounds like a Conan nemesis. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, we got we got a lot going on um, tonight. We have the tenth episode of the fifth season of The Walking Dead. Although only the what is this the second episode since uh, we've returned from hiatus. That's right. The mid season uh, premiere was last week. This week right. is yeah. You're right. The, the and after. this week's. Right, this week's episode, Them, was, if possible, even more depressing and cheerless <laughs> than than last week's episode. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like there's there's people out there that this was their first episode of The Walking Dead, and I wonder how many of them, you know, slit their wrists before the end of it. I mean, <laughs> those of us, you know, invested in the characters, you know, it, this, this, this kind of episode definitely worked. But I, I, if I feel like I was just turning on this show, I mean, it was just unrelenting horror and, uh, you know, but of, of, of a truly uh, primal nature. I thought they were just hungry and thirsty and, like, really beat down. Right. Okay, yeah. I mean, they were really hungry, really thirsty, and really beat down. And I've said a bunch of times I think the show is at its best in the non-dialogue scenes. And this had like a 20 minute sequence where they're walking down the road and there's zombies following them and the zombies aren't fast enough to catch them, but they can't actually rest and they have no food and no water. And then they make a stand where there's like a deep trench at the end of the road, you know, at the edge of the road so they can knock the zombies into the trench. Um but I thought, you know, I mean, that that's basically a bad situation to be in. Like, you're walking on the road, you have no food, you have no water, you're exhausted. And you have this, like, unrelenting, implacable Terminator, your pack of Terminators, you know, following you. I think one of the issues of this uh, episode overall, or themes, I should say, was, like, the idea of how close um, are you when you're at... The, your wits end in this post post-apocalyptic world how close are you to becoming the walking dead you know themselves and actually um uh what's his name rick actually brings rick. it up right and like one of his soliloquies right. 
he's talking about some flashback where he asked his grandfather something or other. And then, you know, he says, like, we, you know, if we consider ourselves dead, we can survive. And then that's when this kind of idea, Daryl gets mad and all this stuff. So the overall theme is, like, when you're at your wit's end or, you know, when you lose your humanity and you've lost loved ones, we had Beth, we have Tyrese gone. So we have these, like, really good characters that have been eliminated. You know, how close are you to being actually lifeless i guess you know and then there's that scene where they're holding the doors in the barn where safe refuge from the storm outside and all these walkers are trying to get in and they're literally the only thing saving them is like this wooden door i was seeing all this symbolism going on in there and they took it to that uh kind of extreme visually i guess yeah and and that that sort of gave them a like a catharsis you know of, of them working together as a team to you know they had everyone had been sort of doing their own thing and then they they all come together to hold the doors but there's another there's another side of that in that you know they're dying of thirst and all they want is the rain to come and then it a rain, rain comes and then it turns into a horrific thunderstorm slash hurricane that drives them into this barn then they're in the barn then zombies show you know so it's like they want water water comes and then it's trouble they find they need shelter from the water they find that and then it's trouble because the zombies come upon them so there's like a real you can't win it's only you can you know lose as slowly as possible um type type of uh joint going on here you know like eventually unless things change they're all gonna be dead you know well, I thought that was established a co- like either last season pretty well. I guess that's true. You know, I, I mean, that is true. They're all their and, t- all their time is limited, so I mean that's the overall theme of the show anyway. Right, and right. No, that's it, true. It all depends on how it's showcased. You know, in each episode, one of the things I'm not sure about this particular episode. To be honest, I thought this was like a very. I mean, I got it, but I personally I thought it was really weak compared to what they were trying to do last episode, which is pretty ambitious. But this week was like really, I don't know, it was just like one monotonous, you know, sequence after another. And I get it. They were hitting you over the head with the idea of like, you know, this monotony and all this just walking down this road. But I don't know. And then, of course, in the last five minutes, there's this they always introduce something new in the last segment of the show. Right. So here. So there's a dude and he's been you know, sort of following them and knows, you know, more about them than they do about him. And he says he's got good news, which, you know, in this world, I don't know if there even is any good news, you know, when when you want rain, you get, you know, when you're dying of thirst, you get rain and it turns into a hurricane. This dude, you know, could turn into some other kind of governor or cannibal or crazy, you know, Beth shooting cop. Right. Let me ask you a question, though. His his plaid shirt game was so crisp. I feel like he just walked out of an L.L. Bean catalog. Nothing was really off about where did he come from? Like, what? How is he so he's definitely not out in the field that whole time. So he right, and, and, and he's uh, we're assuming so someone left them water, which they didn't take. And it was all like new bottles of water. Like, where is it that he has access to, you know, not just crisp clothes, but bottles and bottles of, you know, new new bottles of water? So maybe he's living it up in a Costco. 
or, or, or something <laughs> like that, because you can get shirts and water in Costco. And the endless that, supply that, of, of plaid uh, blue and white checker plaid yeah. shirts. That's that's where you should go. If the zombie apocalypse hits, you should head to Costco and try and hunker down there. Um, that that would be the that would be the move and hold them off. You you can hold them off for years from there. Yeah, well, also uh, assuming that there are no walkers in Costco, because well, you've got to clear it out. I mean, I'm sure you can buy crossbows and things like that in Costco. So and also assuming there's no other raiders that are going to try and raid you out for your right. Well, you're going to have to. I I would assume you're going to have to form a group with uh, with the other people who headed over to Costco and. Uh, <laughs> You know, the Costco here in Sunset Park, depending on, on who that is, it could go any number of ways. You're um, right. You're right. So I, I, one thing I also liked was I liked the thing with the wild dogs because I feel like, you know, they, um, they, they're always exploring different angles of this, you know, zombie apocalypse world. And that's definitely a reality, I feel like. There literally would be packs of dogs that, that you'd have to deal with um i mean could even be like escape zoo like if they got attacked by you know a gorilla it wouldn't be totally out of line in the sense that you know there are zoos and you know so i i actually saw i i, I did like that um you know the the pack of dogs coming out of nowhere don't you think um, the dogs would be have been eaten by now by some of the by, walkers? by who by people by, no, by the by the walkers yeah I, they can't catch them. I mean, that's the whole thing. The And the dogs could smell them coming. I mean, there was an article a year or two ago that said that basically the zombies wouldn't exist because birds would just keep dive bombing them and, and, and chew them up like piece by piece. That's true. Which, that's, that, true. that's fine. I mean, it's pro that's true. But, um, no, I feel like there'd be a lot more wildlife because animals can outrun zombies. Right, but wouldn't um, the animals want to eat the zombies when they get too hungry? And then... well, that's so that's an interesting like what would happen if 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 uh, like that? So we come across uh, a half-eaten hare or rabbit, and it was definitely dead. And I sort of was half expecting if a, if a zombie had eaten that, like, wouldn't it turn into a zombie hare? Even. Right. You know, and so it wasn't. I I don't know. That's that's a whole other other thing they need to explore. What happens if an animal eats a zombie? Right. Or also, I mean, it doesn't matter if. I mean, everybody's infected, right? All all right. everything is infected. So even if the the, I guess animals don't come back as zombies. Who knows? No, not in this. Although they did in uh, I Am Legend. Right. Right. Um. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I thought, you know, I, it, it definitely was a different episode. I don't know if I would call it weak. It had some good segments to it. Um, you know, I, I kind of actually figured there was going to be a zombie in the trunk of the car when uh, Maggie opens the, the car trunk. Um, and so that there was a whole little big, big thing about that. All the, the, the zombie inside was all tied up. And so... They're always hinting at these other stories. I mean, you could do a whole episode about how someone ends up, you know, tied up in the trunk of a car, you know, before the zombie apocalypse takes place and then just, you know, dies of hunger and thirst in there and turns into a zombie and has no idea what's going on. I think that could have been another approach to the show overall. But luckily, I mean, basing it on the comics and this core group of 
of survivors right. you know the tv show and luckily the tv show executes it well enough where it's like you really do want to see what's happening with the progress of each of the characters um by the way what's up with carl being like six feet tall and like buff and basically a man already i mean how i mean that's I the problem with kids in shows i mean that's the problem the the fundamental problem of walt on lost um which i don't know if you watch that but um you know in the first season he's like a cute nine or ten year old kid and then by the last season he's you know a man it's like um, uh, maybe he's like an 11 or 12 but yeah i mean it's 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 the fundamental right I mean, if the simpsons wasn't animated you know bart would be almost 40 <laughs> right it's like michael on uh good times he he grew up in front of our eyes you know what i mean right or or janet jackson right that too that too um you know so it's but it's a different on sitcoms like that you're sort of assuming that you know in between seasons you know um nine months took place in the sitcom world while you know in the walking dead i feel like it's only a year or two out since the since the zombie apocalypse like you could probably find canned food in the walking dead that's not past its expiration date you know at this point whereas another year or two and that even that option isn't isn't going to be there because you know what's camp food like two three years at the most four right. years right 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 um uh, but yeah no yeah. that's that's a fundamental fault of the of the problem with the media of, of of tv and in the future when they can stop aging or you know use you know total digital effects you know we won't have that problem that'll be another thing that uh you know keeping from the realism of tv shows right we can have robo carl and he'll never age exactly exactly yeah. actually that's that's what they'll do yeah so um yeah, lot lots of uh, lots of other stuff going on. Uh, you you had mentioned last week you wanted to talk about Gotham a little bit, and I think we just got uh, we were talking about so many things. But uh, Gotham is also back. What? Uh, Go well, what yeah, Gotham is just uh, yeah, Gotham has just been you know heading on its course, and uh, it's actually me who's kind of back and got caught up on Gotham. And um, the reason I keep bringing it up is because. It, it's it's good and it's bad and it's uh why are we not like covering arrow every week or the flash or or agent carter the reason about gotham i think is kind of interesting is because it's really dealing with um uh a universe that's evolving um that's not going to hit the the big screen anytime soon and uh, they also do have i mean you know uh fish mooney um, Jada Pinkett Smith as a very key character, not just some, uh, I guess, side villain or something. So I felt like from that perspective, um, some of these other shows don't have any principal people of color in their superhero shows. Right. And definitely not Agent Carter, you know, because you're, you're whatever time, you know. Right, 1946. Right. Although they, they, they have, they had a, a black guy and an Asian guy uh, last week uh, play, you know, pretty big roles. But yes, <laughs> right. In general, I mean, it, I'm talking about a recurring like, character, and I'm yeah, talking no, about no, no, more no, than true. like, you know, four lines of dialogue. Anyway, um, all caught up. No, 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 no. And Jada, Jada's bringing it. I mean, yeah. So that's I think the other she's thing. Doing a great job. That's the other thing is she is really, you know, established this character, which is pretty unique and. Um, you know, Gotham takes a lot of criticism, but anyway, 
Um, her storyline is actually the most um, interesting at this point because last week's episode, we really seeing it was kind of a two-parter about the birth of the Scarecrow as a you know a villain. So we really followed the Scarecrow's father, uh, who was this crazy scientist who tried to create this fear serum to combat his own worst fears. Um, he has this twisted kind of ideology, and he was... Uh, preying on weak people who had phobias and stuff. So they track him down. Gordon and his uh, and Bullock track him down and blah, blah, blah. They get rid of him, but he basically injects his son with the serum. And the last you see uh, in the episode of that storyline, you see his son is in car- um, institutionalized um, and seeing visions and all this kind of stuff. So... Um, but the Fish Mooney story is actually really interesting. She got kicked out of Gotham City. Uh, she basically had to escape. Um, she was playing both sides of she, the of the coin. Yeah, I don't really want to go into that. Right. It's kind of complicated. But lo and behold, she finds herself in some sort of weird prison city or something. And she basically is going to take over whatever clan uh, that's there that's been... She, she stabs the leader of these prisoners... Um, and she basically is taking over. So I, I really like where that's going. That's probably the most interesting thing about the past three episodes is her arc, and Penguin is now um, thrown out to the wolves. So I'm, I'm interested to see where they're going. I think they only have seven episodes left. I think there was a 22-episode season. So um, I know the writers probably had to do double time writing some of these episodes. Anyway, I do – I like it's – um, they still haven't super nailed everything down, and with no. uh, with Gordon's new um, love interest, Leslie of, Tompkins, of course, the the wife from Homeland. Um, yeah, Marina Bacarin, and right. she was on uh, Firefly. Right, for that's all right. you Joss Whedon fans, of she was in Nara. Right, but yeah, no, I, I I feel like they've they've excised, like they've cut out some of the stuff that didn't work. Like, um, what's his face's relation? Uh, Gordon's relationship with. Barbara, right? Um, they needed right? to, like, yeah, they needed and, to get and, rid and of her anyway. Montoya, right, right. What? I'm sorry. No, I'm saying they needed to get rid of her, Barbara. Yes. Anyway, she was weak from the beginning. I think they figured that out, um, and and they did, which is good. I mean, like so, and the Bullock and and Gordon stuff is better. Um, I like Marina Bakarin added to the cast. Um, and uh, you know we're getting some some finally getting some really great moments like last week we there was just a meeting between the the Riddler and and Penguin and when I say meeting it wasn't like a gang meeting but they met each other and just we know from you know the whole Batman universe like those those guys end up working together and um, so so stuff like that is dope and next week there or this week. They're going to be introducing the Joker as a kid, or or they're advertising it, and he's played by uh, one of the one of the brothers from Shameless on uh, Showtime, which is is a is a great show. Not necessarily a Fambros, you know, topic show, but um, so I'm psyched to see the Joker, and you know they're they're doling that stuff out very well, and uh, the good moments are definitely outweighing the bad moments. But I, I agree with you that Fish Mooney deserves like a special shout out um, and Jada Pinkett's performance because um, 
it, it could be if you're trying to be a villain in a Batman thing and you're competing with, you know, people like the Joker and the Penguin and the Riddler, you could definitely go over the top. And she is able to walk the line without ever really going over the top, but definitely being a villain that you feel like could fit in the bat any of the Batman universes. Her her fish Mooney could be in the Tim Burton Batman movies, could be in the nineteen sixty six Batman show, and could even be in the Nolan movies, you know? Um she's like the ultimate, you know, like she's she's somehow figured out the whatever it is that clicks to be in, in the Batman universe. So that's really good acting and or really good writing and directing. Yeah, I, I, I agree and I think that's why I'm I'm really kind of sticking with the show you know again i I did read a couple of critiques saying that it's the officially the muppet babies and tiny tunes of the batman universe that you know the show gotham is you know you're officially seeing or getting off they're using the idea of introducing these famous characters in their infancy as a crutch and like look at the you know the 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 I, I don't know, the ironic factor or some nostalgic factor or, you know. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't I don't really care that much about that aspect of it. I do want no. to see more about the, the storytelling. And, and I, like I said, man, it's Fish Mooney's show right now. So Yeah. So, speaking of great female performances uh, on uh, on TV, uh, you finally got a chance to uh, catch up with Empire. Yeah, so um, th- I won't spend too much time on this, but uh, I know probably everybody knows what Empire is already. It's this uh, primetime uh, urban music industry-based uh, soap opera with basically an all-black cast on Fox. So I have to give it its props in that sense. Um, I'm not really covering it other than it's uh, you know a pop culture phenomenon. And I did catch one episode where... Uh, which was last week's episode where uh, Taraji P. Henson, who is the wife of this mogul, and she's trying to, she owns half this record label, and she is also the mother to two burgeoning artists on that record label. She rehabilitates the career of, a, the failing career of a former pop star played by Courtney Love, which turned out to be like a mishmash of Madonna now and basically Courtney Love now, which was really crazy. Um, and Courtney Love looked real, just it was kind of shocking to see how she looked. But uh, anyway, there's a lot of camp in this, you know. Um, it's soap opera at its best. It's definitely not my, I'm not the demographic at all uh, for right. the show. Yeah, the, ca- um, the camp kind of keeps me away. The camp is huge. And, of course, there's also, I feel like popular culture right now, is, has been massaged with the onslaught of this kind of Real Housewives and um, especially of Atlanta. And, um, you know, I feel like this could have been a BET type show or, you know, right. a TV one show and it would go nowhere or it would be just be popular with certain groups. But because it's on Fox, it takes on this whole new kind of audience. I feel like everybody's really checking it out. So every everything that happens on the show, there's a lot of shade thrown. There's a lot of, you know, evil looks between women. and, and uh, But the main thing that's very interesting, I do have to say, is that one of the sons of uh, Terrence Howard is a, an aspiring artist, but he's also in the closet. And so we do have this incredible kind of storyline where 
the son is trying to hide his identity as a gay man and um but they show it on the show pretty you know uh, openly and um he gets you know they're trying to keep him keep that fact out of his career so that's interesting and that's definitely true and that's happened to a lot of artists um and this is probably the only show that's showing a black gay man's experience you know kind of in this broad context and so i got to give him credit for that Right now, I I also understood that it, another thing is it it had it has like a really big budget and there's definitely a lot of money and glitz you know like on the screen, which you know is like a throwback to like the Dallas Dynasty, you know all that stuff. But that that ultimately the show is just essentially a delivery mechanism for this incredible performance by Taraji P Henson. That's like, you know, all the matriarchs on TV have been leading up to this, you know, <laughs> to this character. I, you know, um, I, could, I could totally see that. I just I just feel like, um, you know, the the black female shade thrower as a character is right. is cool. Um, but it, that can't be the only thing. And luckily on Empire, it's not the only thing. Again, this is not fan bros material in my opinion right, right. at all, but it is pop culture and it is people of color kind of running things. And I have to say it is, you know, it's pretty dynamic. Again, you know, in five minutes I kind of got what was going on and right. I was just, this is not interesting. Um, but I have to give them credit that they're doing it and it's a, you know, there's a huge audience for it and, you know, who knows what it can open up, you know, for. Right, there's there's also like a King Lear element there, like it's loosely based on King Lear with Terrence Howard being the right. The, it, it's you know he's got so it's got you know it's got it's Godfather three. It's actually Godfather right. three with black folks and shade and hip hop. There it is. And no Sofia Coppola. No, instead of Sofia right. Coppola, it's a it's a R and B. It's a gay black R and B singer. Right, Sofia Coppola. Well, also this uh, this past week, uh, Law and Order SVU tackled the GamerGate controversy, and I would say it was like an unqualified disaster all around. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was disastrous. It made both sides. I think it 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 clowned both sides in a way that uh, was totally dishonest. Um, and it, it it was like reefer madness. Or there was a there was a movie in the early '80s with a pre superstar Tom Hanks called Mazes and Monsters about a dude who plays Dungeons and Dragons and has like a uh, psychotic break and imagines he's in the game and ends up killing people, and it, it was it was hailed as being totally ludicrous, you know, Mazes and Monsters, and this was that way too. It was very clearly like, you know, people who didn't understand the whole, you know, Gamergate thing, trying to explain it. You know, I'm assuming most people who watch SVU are over the age of 50 at this point. Um, And it's like, you know, the blind explaining to the blind or like a, a bad game of telephone with deaf people. And so it, it, it just the... Um, and and actually it was based on uh the case was based on a real life um game developer named brianna Wu, and i actually follow her on twitter and she was horrified at the uh at the episode and the character that's based on her gets like kidnapped and sexually assaulted and has you know guns put to her head 
and then basically says, um, I got a, you know, women in gaming, what, what did I expect, is like the last line. And, and it's implied she's going to be leaving gaming. And so it, it, it just, and Ice-T had some really, really terrible, terrible dialogue. He was our entry into the, 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 uh, the world of gaming. His character is, um, is like a big gaming fanatic. And so... You know, he knew all the lingo and was there to explain the lingo to all his co-workers who had no idea what he was talking about, like what a noob is and stuff like that. <laughs> well, actually, in real life, Ice-T is a huge gamer, so. Right. No, no, no. I'm not. I mean, it just it was very it was like very clumsily, mm. you know, stuff was shoehorned in that was clearly like to explain to the you know, befuddled 60-year-olds, you know, watching the show, like, what, what was going on and, and, and trying to, to give some context, but the context was too broad. And so, again, if, if you watched, you know, if you've ever seen Reefer Madness and you've ever been around people smoking weed, like, there's no, there, there is literally no area where those two things, like, cross, <laughs> like, the reality and what's right. presented in the movie. Right. And this, you know, was as ridiculous as that. And um, <laughs> all right, go go you know, for you. Yeah, I mean, they they've been on the air for quite a while, and uh, maybe it might be time to hang it up. I actually didn't recognize anyone but Ice T and uh, <laughs> Mickey Hardigay's daughter, what uh, Mariska Hardigay. So uh, it's been a while since I've seen that show. But another, there's a new documentary, uh, you know, like eight or ten part documentary on HBO called Jinx, the Robert Durst story. And they're advertising it as, you know, serial for TV, as, you know, everyone I'm sure knows by now. Serial was a big podcast phenomenon last year. And this is a, a, a very well done true true crime uh, thing following a guy who might or might not have killed and dismembered three women, one of whom was his wife at the time, and and he's the heir to a billion dollar uh, real estate fortune, and he has like the eyes of a shark when uh, when when he's being interviewed. I mean, it just seems at this point, having seen two episodes, like this guy is very clearly. A stone cold murderer, um, <laughs> but it's done very well. I mean, they, there's some stuff with reenactments, but uh, they 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 have access to all like the police interviews and trial stuff. You get audio from the trial, and um, you know it is fundamentally a, a Dateline you know type thing. But if you're into true crime stuff, um, it's you know I think uh, it 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 hits the the sweet spot. Sweet man, so. Uh... Actually, I got a little something different this week. I wanted to do something called uh, uh, What Chico Know. How's what that? What Chico Know. All right. Let's so, see. Uh, so, Fambro's out there. I'm going to present a random film question to Chico and see if he can uh, answer it. So, um, let's see. Which one do I have here? Uh, let me go with the first. I got a couple of them here, but let me go with a softball. So, um, he did the visual effects on John Carpenter's first feature, Dark Star, 1972, I think, 1974, before writing the Alien screenplay. Oh, is that, um, is that 
Rick O'Bannon or somebody? Whoa. Dan O'Bannon. Whoa, Dan O'Bannon. You got it. Yeah, Dan O'Bannon. Nice. <laughs> nice, Chico. I actually didn't know that he did uh, the – I've actually never seen Dark Star, and I am a huge John Carpenter fan. But, uh, I just – I've seen Alien so many times that I recognize that just his name popped up. But um, I didn't know that he had done the visual effects on Dark Star. Definitely Wikipedia, Dan O'Bannon. He's also um, loosely tied to – so many different projects uh check out uh the making of jodorowsky's dune the documentary came out last year or two years ago there's a lot of dan in that um let me give you another one um i'm softballing these uh i don't that's not that much of a softball i mean uh, which, if you hadn't said the alien thing i would have guessed douglas trumbull thinking, right knowing it was wrong but right i right. would have guessed that we'll save that answer for another time uh okay which sci-fi writing legend brought the idea of color to the apes and planet of the apes the movie in 1968 1967 1968 i mean I, i'm gonna guess rod serling because he he wrote uh, the screenplay. That's right. That's that's exactly right. It's Rod Serling. Okay. Damn. Yeah. But you know, cause okay, okay, right on. That's two for two. All right, last yeah. one. I'm mean, now. This one's not so much of a softball. Uh, David Brown and Richard Zanuck, producing partners of such hits as Jaws, The Sting, and also Spielberg's first feature, Sugarland Express. In that same year of 1974, they produced their only black exploitation film. Name that film. Starring, well, starring Gordon from Sesame Street. Oh my God! Starring Gordon from Sesame Street. So that's not. Um, okay, wait, 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 wait. It's. Uh, is it the, the the one with the the James Brown soundtrack? That's not the Mac. It's. Um, oh my God! Um, how am I blanking on the name? Um, shit, I'm blanking. I I I'm I'm picturing what I think is the movie. Um, does it open up with with him as a shoe shine boy and he shoots like a, a bad cop or he witnesses a bad cop getting shot? Uh, I'm gonna, so. I'm, 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 I gotta, I gotta give up. But uh, give, me, give me any title. You gotta give me something. No, I know. Well, no, because I I'm picturing the 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 movie. I'm picturing. I'm just blanking on the uh, on the title. If it's the one, yeah. If it's the one I'm thinking of, there's definitely a lot of James Brown songs in the title. Uh, I mean, in the soundtrack. So that's a negative. But I'm I'm, I'm giving up because I, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I don't want to do a, a false guess. It's a it's a negative. It's a negative. Uh, actually, Thalmus Rasulala is in this film, so I'm bringing it all back. The film is Willie Dynamite. Oh, I, I was thinking of something completely different. James Brown did the soundtrack to Hell Up in Harlem, I believe. No. Um, no. Not Hell Up. Black Caesar. Black Caesar. Yes, Black Caesar yes. is what I was thinking. Black okay, Caesar. so I, even if I had thought of Black Caesar, I would have gotten it wrong. Right. But yeah, no, I don't think I've seen Willie Dynamite. Willie Dynamite has the best uh, pimp round table ever filmed. The, right. Uh, there's there's a Mr. White folks. There's It's a classic scene. You can find it on YouTube. Anyway, that's it for uh, what Chico know for this week. Right, not bad. Chico. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna see Willie Dynamite by next week, and I'll uh, I'll get back. To you. Produced by David Brown and Richard Zanuck. Can you believe it? Billion dollar producer. I can. So, I mean, some of those movies are are good. Well, this one is actually really good. It looks good. Yeah, it looks good. One of my favorites. All right. All well, right, I man. guess that that's it for this week. Uh, we know what Chico know and what he don't. And uh, should I be coming back at you with some uh, some questions next week? 
Uh, not next week. Let's try the week All after right. that. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Well, uh, that's us uh, signing off. And uh, I guess that's it for this week. Peace. Fan Bros. Fan Bros. Fan Bros. Fan Bros.